Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would send your spirit so that our eyes may be able to see all the more clearly your salvation and your righteous promise. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have revealed that you are a promise-making God and you're a promise-keeping God. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at your word together, we may see once again the beauty of your promise and your faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Colossians, and we're up to verse 21 of chapter 1, uh, sorry, verse 21 of chapter 1, and this verse has something in it that I think is important for us to consider this morning. We've been looking at the book of Colossians, and we've been seeing how Paul is thankful for the prayer, um, thankful for the faith and the hope and the love that are in the church in Colossae. He's also spoken about how he is praying for them, uh, the kinds of things that he is praying for them, and particularly that they would know his will. He has then spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's wanting to outline the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ because it seems like there's some sort of heresy that has started to creep into the church. And so he's wanted to once again affirm that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and also emphasize Jesus' work in creation, Jesus' work in providence, in sustaining all things, and also his work in redemption. And he's going to continue to speak about this work of redemption, of how God has brought about salvation for wicked people, for sinners. And that's what he want to concentrate particularly on in verse 21. Verse 21, where we learn something about the human race, about the fallen human race. And I want to emphasize this this morning so that we understand it all the more clearly for us, ourselves, and as we relate to other people. What is this truth that is given to us in verse 21, which we haven't seen in as great a clarity in the earlier part of the book? What is given to us in verse 21? Verse 21, we read, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Here in verse 21, we learn something about the human race, about the Colossians, but about everybody. What is that? Verse 21, Once you were alienated from God. The human race, since the fall, since Adam and Eve ate that fruit that they should not have, they have been alienated from God. And the word alien there doesn't mean little green men, as some of the children might think. No, it just means that we are strangers from God. We are estranged from God. But more than just estranged from God, there's something else that comes through in verse 21, which is important for us to note. Verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. We are not just simply strangers from God, we are actually God's enemies as part of the fallen human race. Now, that may seem a bit harsh. Surely not. Surely people aren't enemies of God. Many people are simply apathetic towards God. They're not hostile towards God. Yes, we do see some people in this world that are at enmity towards God, that they're enemies of God. They're quite vocal in their declaration of, of how much they hate the God of Christianity, we see that with the militant atheists like the Dawkins of the world, the Hitchens, the Harrises. These are the militant atheists, those who are quite angry against the Christian God. And they would, they would quite happily say that they hate the God of Christianity. And so verse 21, we would say, oh, yes, that applies to them. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. 
But it's not just the militant atheists. We see that at a popular level, many people are, hate, are haters of God as well. I even saw this recently on, uh, on a bargain site, a website in Australia. It lists different bargains at different times, and I follow it. I, I like to look at the different electronics and see uh, what bargains are available within Australia. And people can post anything. Uh, they can post different books. And recently, a book was posted to this bargain website, and it was a Christian book relating to the coronavirus, uh, written by a very popular preacher in the United States, John Piper. And a lot of things that are posted to this website, people just move on. Lots of people don't like them, uh, but if they don't like something that's posted, they just ignore it, and it doesn't get any uh, positive votes on the website, and so it doesn't get raised up as something that people should take note of. And lots of books are posted, from self-help books to books about uh, computer coding, and a lot of them are just ignored. But when this book was posted about God and the coronavirus and how the God of Christianity has something to say to people and can help them through this time, oh, the enmity that came out in the comments. I paid more attention to this post than probably anything else I've paid attention to on this bargain website because I was interested to see people's response. This is at a popular level. It's a, it's a secular site, and people were so negative, hating it and giving negative votes, and it was incredible to see that there was this hatred and, and some Christians were fighting back against them and pushing back and saying, look, if you don't like the, the book, just move on. I don't like books about self-help, but I don't come on and, and slam them. But it's interesting how these people, they hate the God of Christianity. It comes through the truth that there is enmity in their minds towards God. But is this the case for everyone? Is it just those who really have a problem with the God of Christianity? Well, Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, the church in Colossae was once an enemy of God, but also we learn through the scriptures that this is the case again and again. And you can see it in our society. If you push people hard enough, people who are not believers in the Lord Jesus, if you push them and present scripture to them, you will see the hostility that is there. Not just an alienation in terms of they're estranged from God. No, there's an enmity that lurks deep within the hearts of all people towards not just any God, but to the God of Christianity, the God who created them. And we see this again and again. You see this, and you see it in the way that people respond, firstly, to knowledge of who God is himself. We'll firstly look at knowledge of who God is, then we'll look at knowledge of God's laws, and then we'll look at the enmity that is shown when people hear about God's works. Firstly, when people hear about God himself, you can see how enmity comes out. When I tell people that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, three in one, three persons in God, all God but three persons, they say that you're daft. They say that you're stupid. Why would you believe in that? And the hostility comes out when people hear about the sovereignty of God. When they hear about the attributes of God and concluding his sovereignty, you see the enmity come out. As people consider that God is in control of all things, people do not want to hear that. People hate a God who could be in control of everything in their life. They say, that God has no control of me. I have free will. And so they hate the God of Christianity who reigns supreme. They're happy with other religions, potentially, where a God does not reign over all things. But they hate the concept, 
the idea that is proclaimed in Scripture that God is completely sovereign. They also hate God's omniscience, that he knows all things. You see that people do not like it's when someone knows a fair bit about them. We've seen this even recently in the last week uh, where an app has been released in Australia. The government is encouraging us to download it and people are still very suspicious of this app. They don't like the idea that someone can know who they've been near. That's all the government claims that they're catching, the data that they're catching with this application on your phone, just who you've been near. And there's this outrage. Now, if you say to someone, there is a God who knows all things. He is recording everything that you say, everything that you do, even everything that you think. And there's no way of deleting the history or making sure that the data is removed at some point. He keeps it. What happens? The enmity comes out in their minds. The hostility is shown by their wicked deeds and the things that they then say against a God who knows all things. It's also the same with justice and goodness of God. People love to mock the justice and goodness of God. They say, how could a good God allow pain and suffering in this world? And they hate the God of Christianity who claims to be sovereign but also claims to be good and just. When they look around at the world, they say, how is this justice? And they hate the God of Christianity. And then on the flip side, they can hate the mercy of God. When you speak about the mercy of God and how he forgives anyone that comes to him, regardless of what they've done, they say, what about the mass murderers? What about the rapists and the child molesters? How can a God forgive them? How can his mercy be extended to them? And so they hate the God of Christianity for his justice on one hand, but they also hate the God of Christianity for his mercy. And so you see that there's a hostility in the minds of people. So that's just the news of who God is as you present the God of Christianity to them. There's a hatred that comes out. But what about when you start to preach and proclaim his laws? Then you see the enmity coming out within people as well. Just consider the big ones, particularly in our society at the moment, the noise that is made against the God of Christianity because of his laws. Verse, uh, verses 9 to 11 of 1 Corinthians 6 are probably some of the ones that are most hated, particularly in our society at the moment, because a footballer posted a paraphrase of them online. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. A verse that is hated within our society at the moment. And so the God of Christianity is hated. And it doesn't just stop there. The next verse, and that is what some of you were. Now that is a hated doctrine at the moment, that you can change. People want to ban conversion therapy because they hate this idea that you can change. And so they hate the God of Christianity. There's a hostility in their minds when they hear these words. And that is what some of you were. They don't want to change. And they don't want to know that there's a possibility of change. And so they hate the God of Christianity. That's one law that is held up in our society at the moment for hatred. What about a second one? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. People in our society hate a verse like that. 
that there's no other sexes, there's no other genders, there's simply male and female. And if you push this with people who seem apathetic to God, suddenly the hostility comes out. They are enemies with God in their minds. And we see it all too clearly when you start to say, there are only two genders, there are only two sexes, they're simply male and female. Another one in our society at the moment that you can see the hostility come out is when it comes to abortion. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For you created my, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. The psalmist there is very clear that even within the womb he is a person. And yet our society likes to say, in the womb you're simply a collection of cells and nothing more. And so there's a hostility to a verse like Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 13, is hated, and the God of Christianity is hated for saying it. And then, of course, even in the book of Colossians, we can see different laws that are given there and how much people can hate those as well. Just turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, where the instructions are started to, give, to be given to households as to how they are to live. Verse 18, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This is one that has been hotly contested in the past uh, and, of course, still is today. People hate a verse like that. Women hate a verse like that. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The hostility springs in their minds and they hate the God of Christianity. But even husbands may not like the next verse. Some hostility may rise in their hearts. Verse 19, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There's some husbands who hate a verse like that. And then, of course, children listening at home. Verse 20 is one that can cause enmity and hatred towards God to rise in your hearts. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, in everything, it's actually there. It says, in everything, you're meant to obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Laws like that can cause people to hate God. And then, of course, the next verse, uh, no, sorry, uh, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to, and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I still hear this one in apologetics when people are arguing with an atheist about the God of Christianity and how Christianity is true. They love to bring up the teachings in the scripture about slavery. And of course, they rip them out of context, they do not understand the type of slavery there, and they do not want to hear reasons why an instruction like that may be given by God. Instead, they just want to hate God as they hear a verse like verse 22, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. And then, of course, there's the other teachings in the Bible that concern sexual immorality and divorce. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 27 in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin and gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to have, lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. People look at a verse, verses like that and they say, look at the stupidity of Christianity and the foolishness of their God. 
And then as it continues, they hate verses, uh, the following verses in Matthew chapter 5 as well. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. People hear verses like that and they say, that can't be true. That standard is too high. It is not true. And they hate the God of Christianity as a result. And of course, other laws like treatment of enemies, where Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And people say, does that mean I have to forgive my son's murderer? That can't be true. And so they hate the God of Christianity and reject him wholesale because they say, it is not possible to love your enemies. It can't be true. And then, of course, one thing that uh, those in Australian society who have a lot of it do not like it being criticised, and that is money. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. They say Paul obviously didn't have much of it, and so he was jealous. He was envious of those who had money and they don't want to be told that they, by their love for money, have a root of all kinds of evil and so they despise the God of Christianity. So people despise God because of who he is, they despise God because of his laws, they also despise God because of his works. When they hear about the Lord, when they hear about his laws, when they also hear about his works, they despise him. For example, creation. A verse like Exodus 20, verse 11, which is reiterating what is taught in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. There's a verse that's held up for ridicule. You want to see people hostile towards God? Read them that verse and you'll see it come out. What other works? What about this verse? Matthew 1, verse 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. Even heard last year here in Australia, a popular disc jockey ridiculing the virgin birth. You saw the enmity that came out in his mind towards Christianity because of the virgin birth, because of the truth that the Son of God took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. But there's other works of God, the resurrection of the dead, or even the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I heard from someone this week that said that before they were a Christian, they heard about the blood at church and they thought that's that's horrific that's horrible how can that be true how can i accept this blood language and so they reject the crucifixion of the lord jesus christ and of course are hostile towards christianity they say it's barbaric but even the resurrection of the dead we understand that when christ was raised from the dead many people sneered at the truth about it. An example of that is in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, where Paul is preaching in Athens and he says, For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this. How do we know that God will judge the world one day? He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And what was the response of some of the Athenians? When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. The hostility came out, and it comes out today as well. If you speak about the resurrection of the dead to people and about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus to people, it's not long before some hostility comes out in their minds and is shown by the way that they speak. And, of course, the last judgment. People hate the concept of the last judgment. 
a teaching that comes again and again in Scripture, but for example, Matthew chapter 13, verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You want to see people hostile towards God, start to speak about hell and its eternal nature and that they will go there if they do not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. I could go on all day. I could keep on listing more and more examples, and you can probably think of some in your own head that I've missed, of hatred towards God's word and the truths that are contained there about who he is, about his laws, and about his works. And so it's not hard to see that there's a deeply seated hatred of God in every human mind when the Bible is taught. Don't think for a second that Australians are apathetic towards God, that they don't really care too much about God. No, they hate him. And you can show it so easily if you just start to speak a few of the truths of the Bible. James is right in James chapter 4, verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't say, oh, I, I love the world and I enjoy the things of this world and God, I'm indifferent to God. No. There are only two camps to be in. There's only two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. The thing is that those people that you think are apathetic to the God of Christianity, that hatred is just treacherously hidden, but it'll show its ugly face when scripture is heard. And has it even shown its face even now in our hearts? Has hostility risen in your heart, in your flesh, even now as I've touched on some of the very sensitive subjects in Scripture? As I was reading out some of those verses before, did something arise in your heart and say, oh, I don't really like that verse, and I don't want to have to live that way. I fear for us... The answer is yes, for all of us. Our sinful flesh has winced at certain scriptures. And if it hasn't winced at some of those ones there, I'm sure I could find some for you to wince at if you wanted. Oh, our sinful hearts. Our sinful hearts along with the rest of humanity. How may we overcome our hostility towards our creator? Well, it can't come from us. Reconciliation with God can't, cannot originate in us because we hate God and have no love for him. If we were trying to work off our hatred towards God, if we had some great debt and we thought if we did enough good works, we could outweigh the debt and bring it right again. The trouble is we continue to hate God as we pay off the debt. And so we continue to add to our debt. You can never do good works that will outweigh the bad. Reconciliation instead has to be initiated and accomplished by God, his son, and his Holy Spirit. Has God provided a way of reconciliation for us who are enemies of God? Yes, it's in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is what is taught to us in verse 22. Thankfully, verse 21 isn't the end of the story. Verse 21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he, that is God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. A marvellous truth of scripture, that Jesus died the death that we deserve, that he has purchased our pardon, even as enemies of God. 
through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed on the cross as told to us in verse 20. People hate the idea of this blood language, but this is the marvellous truth of Scripture, that our blood should be shed for our sins, but instead reconciliation has been made by the Lord Jesus. He has provided a way of reconciliation. Who is this for? Well, verse 23 actually tells us that it's not for everyone. Not everyone is reconciled to God, and we see that in society. We see many people who are hating of God and, and living perpetual hatred of God. Who is it for? Verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. The way of reconciliation is by faith in Christ Jesus. We need to believe that Jesus Christ died for us and continue to believe. See that in verse 23? If you continue in your faith, all those who said a prayer once and ask for forgiveness from the Lord Jesus, but have stopped believing. You'd see that they're no longer interested in God, and they've turned back to hating God as a dog returns to its vomit, as a pig goes back to wallowing in the mud. Those people are not reconciled to God. It is for those who continue in the faith, the truly saved ones. They continue to believe in the goodness of God and love him rather than hate him. I can give you an illustration. We are like servants of a good king, but we've all begun to hate his works, hate his laws, and hate the king himself. And our thoughts haven't simply stayed thoughts. They've started to slip into actions against the king. We've started to say things that we shouldn't, that the king is an evil king. We have plotted with the king's enemies to start a coup and overthrow the king. We've betrayed the king's servants and led them to the enemy. We've tried to poison the king's food. We've set fire to the king's palace. We've even tried to kill the prince, the king's son, in the darkness of night. But then the king arrests us and charges us with our crimes, even our hidden crimes, the ones that we thought we could get away with that no one knew about. The king has known about them. Those, those tre treasonous acts that we've committed in the darkness of night, he knows about them. And then the king shows us the punishment we deserve, torturous death for our acts of treason. But then incredibly, the son of the king offers to pay the penalty for us. And we say, yes, please. And we turn from our evil thoughts and our evil deeds. And we believe in the king as a good and merciful king from now on. And we continue to do that. That's how we know that we have been forgiven and won't be punished by the king is because we're now without blemish and free from accusation and we see that in an ongoing belief in the king as a good and gracious king that he is and we're seeking to kill the hatred. When we think evil thoughts about the king now, we try to put them down rather than to think about killing the king as our hearts would like us to do. And hopefully that brings out the point and the point is clear. If we want eternal life, we need to continue to trust in God. We need to continue to trust in God, rejoicing in the knowledge that the God is a good and gracious God. As we look at the character of God, we rejoice in who he is, and we rejoice in what he has done for us. We look at verse 22. 
And we can't hate God when we read verse 22. We're instead attracted to him. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. As we look at a verse like that, we don't think, oh, how absurd. We think how wonderful. And how wonderful is the God who did that for us. Because if we don't continue in the faith, then we do not have that reconciliation that we need and God will treat us like the enemy we are. We saw that in Lamentations chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that other reading we had before, where God's speaking of what was supposed to be his nation, it was supposed to be his people, the people of Israel. Verse 4 of Lamentations chapter 2 says, Like an enemy... He has strung his bow. His right hand is ready like a foe. He has slain all who are pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of the daughter of Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. And he will do that to you too if you do not continue in your faith. Some of you may even need to begin the walk of faith today. You need to stop making war with God and love him. You need to acknowledge that when I read out texts of scripture like I did before, that those texts made you recognize hostility in your mind towards the God of Christianity. And you need to humble yourself and say, I don't want to be the enemy of the God who made me. Instead, I want to belong to him. If that is you, I encourage you, repent of your sins now. Turn from your sins. Trust that Jesus Christ reconciled you by his physical body many years ago and start to put to death the enmity in your mind towards God or otherwise God will put you to death one day for your sins. And the rest of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for many years, we need to continue to remember that we're in this for the long haul. That is the fear, I think, that the Apostle Paul has about the church in Colossae, that dangerous teachings had come into the church and people were being distracted and led astray. We need to remember that we're in this for the long haul, that we need to continue in the faith. We need to continue to trust in Jesus Christ every day of our lives and to love the God who made us and reconciled us. How do we answer the question today, If we were to die tonight and God was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Is it that you believe in him today? Or is it because you believed in him 10 years ago at some rally that you went to and you said, oh yes, I believe in Jesus Christ and prayed some sort of prayer? No, the question is, what do you believe today? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins today? And then we need to continue in that faith. If we affirm that faith today, we need to continue in it. And when we see nasty reactions to God's word, we need to ask for more faith by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Grant us greater faith. Increase our faith. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief towards your scripture. And we need to meditate more upon God, thinking about who he is, and what he has done for us. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches us in verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. We keep coming back to the gospel because there in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, seeing him at the cross, 
we see God's love, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, but also his justice and his holiness displayed and we are attracted to him instead of living in hatred towards him. If you struggle with any part of God's word, whether it be about who God is, whether it be about his laws, whether it be about his work, keep coming back to God and asking for increased faith and meditate upon the wonderful God who created us and also redeemed us and what he has done for us in that redemption by Christ Jesus. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we come and we praise you as a long-suffering God with your enemies. We come before you and acknowledge the enmity that is still lingering in our minds towards you, and we are sorry for it. Lord, we come before you also and thank you for the reconciliation that you have given by Christ's physical body through death, so that we who believe are now holy in your sight, without blemish and free from accusation, even whilst we continue in our sin, even whilst there are thoughts of hatred towards you. Oh, Lord, we rejoice in the fact that because of Christ, we are holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. But, Lord, we want to live increasing, uh, in increasing faith. Lord, we want to live godly lives that are increasingly holy, And so, Lord, we come before you and ask that you would send your spirit and help us to put to death the hatred in our minds that still lingers there towards you and continue in our faith in you as the wonderful God that you are and who has redeemed us from sin and death and the judgment to come. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.